Welcome to the podcast of Temple Baptist Theological Seminary of Bruton Parker College. This podcast is focused on encouraging and equipping pastors by way of ministry discussions, personal interviews, and theological explorations where we desire to merge ministry and theology. I want to welcome today Dr. Dustin Hutto, who is an adjunct professor with us here at Temple Baptist Theological Seminary. This is actually going to be the first part of a multi-part, multi-podcast series related to preaching, preparation for preaching, sermon delivery, etc. So we're going to kick this off today. Dr. Hutto, so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Tell us very quickly a little bit about where you serve, in addition to being an adjunct with us here. Okay, I am the associate pastor at Oakland Baptist Church over in Hazelhurst, Georgia. Um, I've served there for, for eight years in that role. I uh, enjoy that role very much. We have a vibrant, active church. In that uh, role as the associate pastor, I, uh, I'm able to uh, do uh, about half of the preaching. It equals out to about half of the preaching. Um, uh, serve with a pastor that's been there, I think, 42 years. Goodness, and, awesome. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's good to uh, be trusted by a man who's been there that long and has stood the test of time. At, at, this is only church, at, what, at one church all those years. And, and then I assist him, of course, with, you know, pastoral ministries and as well as that, you know, attend all the deacons meetings, things like that. I also serve as the moderator of our local Baptist association, the Consolation Baptist Association. So uh, the, the Lord is uh, the Lord's using me and I'm wearing a lot of different hats for him, but that's, that's okay too. One of the things that's unique about our conversation is that you have a doctorate of ministry yes. and it's actually focused, emphasizing the concentration is biblical preaching. Yes. So today I think is very appropriate for us to discuss some of the topics. And as I mentioned, this is going to be the first of a multi-part, multi-podcast series where we're talking about sermon preparation, sermon delivery. Let's talk about some basics because I think before we ever ever get into the discussion about some of the components of it, first, what does it mean when we say, I've delivered a sermon or that was a great sermon? What is the definition of the word sermon? I cut my teeth on Haddon Robinson's book, Biblical Preaching. That's the, to me one of the one of the best books on preaching. And Haddon Robinson defined preaching as the the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through historical, grammatical, and uh, literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality of the preacher, and uh, then through the preacher applies to the hearer. So all of that, um, and I, I, I agree with that definition where uh, you take a, a biblical concept and you thoroughly study that concept and you teach that biblical concept or you teach that biblical text to your congregation. But it's important that you show them what it means for when they go to work on Monday or to get the, you know, get them through the week or, or whatever they're facing it's it's important that they understand that. Yes. I believe that the Bible says this, but the sermon should also say, this is how I can use what the Bible says. This is how I can put what the Bible says into practice. I think that's important. So in essence for you, it's the full concept from the hermeneutic beginning with the interpretation all the way to the end, which is the application. Exactly. Yes. So what is the purpose of a sermon? That that depends on on what kind of sermon you're going to be preaching. Uh, you could be preaching an evangelical sermon, uh, which would be more like a uh, a revivalist or a crusade preacher that would preach an evangelical sermon to to uh, for for people to come to Christ and be and be saved. But you also have equipping sermons, and and they serve a different purpose totally than the evangelical sermon. The the equipping sermon is is mostly what you will probably be preaching in your churches. Of course, they'll have an evangelical element to them, 
but your your equipping sermon will be uh, for people mostly who are believers that they're, they're, you're equipping them uh, for ministry. Preparing, because I believe that it's not just the preacher that's called to the ministry. I believe every Amen. Christian is called to the ministry. Absolutely. And uh, and I believe it's the job of those those of us that are called to preach to equip God's people for the ministry. But isn't that more of a teaching function? And so then let me ask the follow-up question to that. What is the distinction between preaching a sermon and teaching a biblical lesson? Yeah, I, I believe that a biblical lesson doesn't have to have an application point. You can take and teach something from the Bible in a secular sense. Um, you may be teaching it wrong, or you may be teaching heresy, but you can teach it in a sense where there is no application of showing this is how you live it out. I believe that you can teach without preaching, but I don't believe that you can preach without teaching. I believe that a, I believe that a sermon will teach a biblical lesson, but also show how to accurately apply it to, I, I believe that application is absolutely necessary for a sermon. And that's the different, that's, that's the difference between just a simple, simple biblical lesson and, and a sermon. Uh, I can, I can teach you, uh, all of the, the biblical concepts and I've taught you a biblical lesson. You may have learned what the Bible says, but if, if, um, if I'm preaching, I believe I have to show you how to put it into practice. I believe that you can teach without preaching, but you can't preach without teaching, if that makes sense. So there's an element in which we would think of preaching, as you have defined it, as an exhortation, Mm -hmm. which when we talk about exhorting someone, not only are we communicating principle, but we're also then communicating practice. Yes. So exhortation then is a very strong component in your estimation. Yes, sir. What is your process of sermon development? How do you go about developing all these sermons? Well, I... I begin with prayer. Um, I, I, I don't think that you can start the sermon process without, without going to God first. I believe it ultimately all comes from Him. And you have to go to Him. And when I'm doing that, I have to make sure that I'm prepared to preach within myself. Amen. That I'm spiritually Amen. prepared to preach. And I think that's a required step to begin with prayer. And I had a, a, some really good advice from a, a preacher that's going to be with the Lord now an older preacher, when I was first called to preach. And he said, it's good to begin asking yourself the question, is Jesus enough? And if the answer is yes, then you have a reason to preach. And the answer has always been yes, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is all sufficient. Then after that time of prayer and reflection, I read the text, and then I I reread the text, and then I pray. Again. Again. And then I read the text in its context. If I can read the whole book and find that context within the whole book, I do that. I also compare uh, various translations and utilize commentaries while I'm doing this to see what other people have said about that text. And then I pray. Again. Again. <laughs> of course. And then I make sure that I structure my sermon around the text. I, I don't believe a biblical sermon can be divorced from the text. I, I, oftentimes we, we hear preachers, well-meaning preachers, that will take a a text and preach a topic. I'm not against topical preaching, but I believe that good topical preaching will be structured on the text as well. Amen. Um, that uh, I, I believe there's a place for it. I, I believe that topical preaching is valid. But if it's driven by the topic, then it's not a sermon. It has to be driven by the text. That's so important that, it, that, it's, driv- that it's driven by the text. 
when I seek to structure it around the text, I seek to find what Haddon Robinson called the big idea of the text. And right. and the big idea of the text is is one succinct statement that sums up the meaning of the text. It's a, it's just a synoptic statement that summed up sums up the text and it and it consists of a subject and a, a complement. The subject asks the question what the author of the text is talking about. And the compliment tells us what the author says about what he's talking about. And this can be easy to find, or it can be a little bit more of a painstaking process. Uh, a simple example is found in John 3.16, um, where I can say the subject is, when I look at that text, the subject may be, how much does God love the world? How much does God love us as, as humanity? And then the, uh, the compliment to that would be, so much that he gave his only son so that people who believed in him could be saved. That that's the that's the subject and come that's the and so the big idea would be that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die so that we could be saved. And that's a that's a succinct statement about that one passage of scripture. And it may seem so simplistic and that is simplistic, but it can also be a painstaking process. But then after I look at that text and seek to structure everything around that text. And I find that big idea that I want to be the big idea of the sermon, that everything comes back to that biblical idea from the text. I pray. Again. Again. And then I, and another, and then, then I seek to exegete the text. I want to look and I want to say what's going on in the, the world or the community when that text is written and to whom that text was written. What's going on? Because especially with the epistles, we know that the epistles are, are, are written to a group of people who were, who were going through some stuff, no matter what it was, and the epistles are written to address that, whether it be they were you know, being infiltrated by false teachers or having problems with their faith or whether they were having conflict within the church or, or whatever it may be, the, the epistles are written for that. And, and we have to look to that in all of the biblical texts of why was the uh, why was the text written to whom was it written um, what was going on in the world and then I want to look to the interpretation what does the text mean and that that's important because in that I have to look for the authorial intent what did the author mean when he wrote that that's so important I the text can never mean what it never meant I can't interject my westernized philosophy or thought into an ancient text, I have to look and say, what did the author, or what did Paul intend to communicate to the church in Philippi? What was he writing to them about? What was going on? What were they about to face? And I have to understand what the author first intended to mean to that original audience. And and in doing that, I have to look at the I have to look at again what's going on in the world, what's going on in that community, what's going on in society. What's going on with the author? Where was he at when he wrote? You know, uh, where where was he at in his ministry and in his location? This is one of the ways too in which commentaries are so helpful. Yes, yes. They often will give us biblical background. They will give us the context. They'll talk about the location, the city, the themes, the errors that were being addressed, whatever it might be. So commentaries are very helpful in that regard. Yes, they they are. And commentaries, Bible atlases. Things like that are very helpful in, 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 in that regard. And then I, I want to do a keyword study. What did the keywords in a given text mean in the original language? What was the original language? What was the vocabulary of the people and the vocabulary that was, that was, uh, that was used in, in writing? And, 
And then I want to look, and I think this is something that oftentimes that when we're looking at, at a singular verse or a singular group of verses within a biblical text, we we don't often look at the textual relation to the rest of Scripture, but but we need to do that because we need to see where it fits in Christian doctrine. I agree. Um, if if we if we do that, we see where it fits within Christian doctrine, and and all of that, the the, the things I just mentioned quickly are are done in order to communicate accurately the primary idea of the text in in a way that is that is true that that communicates the timeless meaning and the real meaning of the text so that I can then take and apply it to the the uh the modern day hearer and the 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 goal is for me is while we don't live in the first century and we're not facing oppression from the Roman government or Roman Empire per se or or whoever it is, or we may not be facing the the uh Judaizers coming in and telling us that Christ is not enough or whatever it may be we We are facing some things and, and we can take the principles that were taught to the original hearers and apply them because those principles are timeless. The circumstances may not be exactly the same, but I think it's important in preaching that we let our people understand that that while the circumstances may be different, the, the, the people that were originally written to were not that different than we are. And just like they went through bad things or going through bad things, the people that the Bible was originally written to were going through good times, bad times, you know, times that was kind of in the middle, if, if you will. And, and the biblical principles saw them through. And those timeless principles can continue to see people through. And then after I, I, I tried to look at the, the the text and and see the original meaning and all of that I I pray again yes and then I then I try to develop a sermon outline uh, from you know the text the big idea of the text what the text is saying that one succinct statement and then draw my points from the text of what this main thrust how do I get to this main thrust a a very deductive uh, type of uh, uh, outline where I say, okay, what points in the text do we see that give us this main thought? How do we get to that main thought? And then I, I develop a sermon outline with main points and, and sub points that branch from that, that main idea. And then after I develop the outline, I, I pray. And then I, I, I go into the point of preaching the text. And it's important that we preach the text, not the outline. Amen. That that is extremely important. A lot of times we we fall into error when I preach my sermon. My goal is not to preach my sermon. My goal is to preach the text, hmm. so that people yeah. can people can can understand. And then after I preach, I pray. A sermon should be bathed in prayer and should be saturated in scripture. If not, things can fall apart. We we have to understand that we must rely on the Holy Spirit in the sermon preparation process, uh, the sermon delivery process. And it's, it's not for people to see how good of a preacher I am or how knowledgeable I am. It's a way to point people to Calvary. It's a way to point people to the cross. It's a way to point people to Christ. Uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that he would begin with his text and make a beeline to the cross. Amen. I, I want people to see Jesus. The the thing that differentiates, and we, and we see it in the pages of the New Testament, we see it in the pages of Scripture, the thing that differentiated the false teachers 
from the true teachers of the gospel like the Apostle Paul and, and Peter and, and Timothy and, and these different ones, the things that differentiated them from these false teachers as the false teachers were always, look at me. And the true teachers of the gospel say, look at Christ. And that's what's important. That's what we should always seek to do. Because I've preached some sermons that I thought I bombed. And people thought that they were great. And then I've preached sermons that I, I thought were pretty good. Nobody responded. So you, it's, it's total reliance on the Holy Spirit in the, in, the, in the preaching process, the whole thing. Well, let's talk further about the preaching process. I mean, the different components that you've identified relate to hermeneutics, homiletics, that process of delivering that sermon. What are the types of sermons? Just list three or four that you would say are the various types that tend to kind of come to the surface, surface and then... We'll talk about your style and then kind of making our way around third to home plate. Well, you, your, your different methods of sermons usually exist in, in two types or two modes, if you will. One inductive, the other deductive. Whereas your inductive is more of your topical type sermon where you bring a topic in and, and, and the, that kind of using scripture, that, that topic kind of drives the, the sermon. Of course, again, it, it should be founded in scripture the topic should if it's not founded in scripture it's just a it's just a motivational speech uh, it must be founded in scripture and then you have narrative like monologues or a dramatic uh, presentation and then in your deductive you have more expository type preaching where it's a verse by verse rendering in its you know original context using uh, in a way more academic in a sense, but then you also have in that text the textual type sermons that may use one verse. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was was kind of a master of the textual sermon. Yes, he was. Where he would take uh, one verse and break down each word and and really bring something out of it, and and in a very deductive way, he would kind of find that main communication point of a singular text, and then how each word or, or maybe phrase of a, of a biblical text would you know communicate that, and he was a master of it. But yeah, you have those two primary inductive, deductive, where, where your inductive will, will take and begin with the particulars of experience. And then it, you picture it almost like a funnel. So you have the particulars of experience that narrow down into a singular point. Whereas your deductive starts with the singular point, and instead of being like a funnel, it's more like a cone, where you have a singular point, and then you break it out into the, the uh, not particulars of experience, but to the, uh, it has a general truth and moves toward the particulars of application. Uh, and so where, whereas you see lived experience, this is how I've lived this, and this is the doctrinal statement in the inductive going downward, you, you invert that and have biblical principles that are applied by each point in the deductive sermon. So what is your primary mode of preaching? Uh, expositional. Uh, I, I, I tend to be more of the uh, verse by verse. I prefer exposition to topical or, or any other. Again, I have preached topical sermons. Uh, I actually did my doctoral work in, in inductive preaching, doing monologues. Uh, that was how uh, my doctoral work was in that. But my uh, my comfort zone and and what I what I feel is is the the one that I prefer to do is is uh, expositional where I uh, teach the text verse by verse and and expose the text to the to the congregation while and apply it in a deductive fashion as I'm as I'm preaching. When we think about expositional preaching, topical preaching, all the different facets of preaching, we tend to fall into a pattern of both sermon development as well as sermon delivery. 
with that comes what I call best practices, things that we've developed in our own process that we think help us significantly through that process, that whole hermeneutical cycle to the homiletic delivery, et cetera. What would be just a two or three maybe off-the-cuff thoughts on what are some best practices that you engage in that you think could be helpful to share with someone else? In my, my sermon preparation delivery, some of those um, some of those best practices are, of course, beginning, ending, saturating everything uh, uh, or bathing everything in prayer. Uh, you'll never pray too much. You may pray too little, but you'll never pray too much. Also, one of the things in, in, in my sermon, uh, some of the best practices I've found is uh, if if you're preaching expositional through books of the Bible, uh, as I do every uh, I do every Wednesday night at our church, and uh, and so I preach through whole books of the Bible, and in that I uh, I develop a sermon calendar, um, kind of uh, I, I know what I'm going to be preaching two months from now, um, and I can begin developing that. Um, that's another good practice, but but I also think uh, good practice is listen to preaching. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good practice to have listen listen to other preachers preachers that are preachers that are better than me and uh, see how they communicate and their their method of communication and and how they inflect with their voice and and uh, how they uh, uh, how they uh, their their presence in the pulpit. Um, another good practice, um, and this seems so simplistic. Uh, don't have anything in your pockets when you're when you go into the pulpit. My my wife has has uh, told me before, don't take your keys in your pocket when you go because you'll put your hands in your pockets and and so I, I don't do that. But another uh, another few best best practices that I I wrote down here um, is that I prepare overtime, not just on Saturday night. If you're just using Saturday night for sermon preparation, you're not going to have a well prepared sermon. There there are times that. I have an embryonic sermon that I pray about and chew on for months before I preach it. Just just because it it takes that time. The the more that you I hate to say the word fight, but the more that you wrestle with a text, the better I believe the sermon's going to be because I, oftentimes I I've, I've been asked, you know, how do you come up with your sermons and I, I tell people a lot of times that my sermons are sermons that I need to hear. That you know, something that the the Lord may be dealing with me on. And and uh, there are times that I've had to wrestle with a text, and, and there are times even now that, that I will chew on a, a text for or uh, pray about a text and, and you know, really delve into a, a, a sermon idea for, for months before I, I ever preach it. Uh, another best practice is, is Bible study. Uh, I went through a time where, where I was... I was under the illusion that my sermon preparation, my study for sermon preparation, was was sufficient for my own personal Bible study, my own personal Bible intake. It's not. You must have your own personal study apart from your preaching preparation. That that has to happen. Uh, other good uh, best practices are be willing to take time off with friends and family. Um, I, I you know that that's that's important. Uh, uh, take care of yourself. Uh, a preacher's health is in, is important, and also to have a trustworthy confidant, somebody that you can you can trust. Because even as preachers, we go through things just like our our, our congregations do, and uh, we need somebody that we can trust to, that we can go and talk to about certain things. So th- those are just some of the best practices that I that I wrote down here. 
Well, they're listening to the best practices. Obviously, the converse of those, they become things to avoid. You avoid doing a sermon on Saturday nights before yes. Sunday morning, or you, you avoid burning yourself out so that you know, you're constantly depleted and have no, nothing to give. Right. So those are obviously some of the things. The converse of the best practices are often then things to avoid. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else you'd add to that, though? Sure. You should avoid allowing your family to come second to your preaching. My primary ministry is to be the priest of my home. Amen to that. I have been called to preach the gospel. I serve on a church staff. I'm the associate pastor of a church. But my, my first ministry is to be the priest of my home. And that means my first ministry is to be a husband to my wife and then a father to my children. And that's, those are the, that's first, being the priest of my home. And there are times when the ministry of the local church calls and I have to respond. I understand that. But preachers have to intentionally carve out time for their family. I've seen too many, quote, staff families. And you know what I mean. I've seen so many staff families that are dysfunctional because the church took away family time. And my family is my primary ministry, the, being the priest of my home. So I think you should avoid that, uh, uh, allowing the church to take precedence over your family. Also, I think it's okay for the ministers to be ministered to. It's okay for the pastor to have a pastor. And I think a lot of times pastors avoid that and they they allow themselves and and I understand that we we have to put our congregations to a certain place and 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 give them a certain level of of preference in things and 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 we're called to be that shepherd or that under shepherd. But I think that a pastor should have a pastor as well. Um, and uh, whether it be somebody who was his former pastor before he was called to the ministry or a, a friend in the ministry that he has made that is kind of his confidant and his mentor. But I think everybody needs a pastor, and that includes the pastor. And I think a lot of times that we, we spend so much time ministering to other people that we neglect being ministered to ourselves, and, and that's not good for our spiritual life. Amen. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for yes, these comments, these thoughts. These are very helpful. And I believe this will be encouraging to those who are out there seeking to every week prepare a sermon and deliver what they believe to be faithful to God's Word. Temple Baptist Theological Seminary is a division of Bruton Parker College, which is an institution of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Temple Baptist Theological Seminary affirms the inerrancy of Scripture and teaches within the framework of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. For more information concerning Temple Baptist Theological Seminary and Bruton Parker College, go to temple.bpc.edu or bpc.edu.